0: Okay, my guest uh, tonight is Robert Duncan O'Finian. He is a government whistleblower of the highest order, and uh, if his story is true, he's one of the bravest and most dangerous men alive. Uh, I'd like to welcome him. Robert, uh, how you doing?
1: Good. Thanks uh, for me on, man.
0: No problem. It's my pleasure. It really is. Um, is there a short uh, Reader's Digest bio of yourself that you're used to giving uh, to get us all started and, and who you are?
1: Oh, I can... Try to do a Reader's Digest condensed <laughs> version. I guess uh, basically everybody, you know, everybody's heard about MK Alter. and most people by now, I'm sure, have heard about Project Paperclip. Well, it seems that in 1966, I was selected to be one uh, part of a project known as Project Talent, which takes a lot of time to explain. But uh, by the time I was Pre-teens up until my early 20s, I was part of a group known as the Ultimate Warrior Program, and I will stress that I've been reading a lot on the Internet here lately where people <laughs> saying that I think that I am or I was the Ultimate Warrior. Uh, no. The Ultimate Warrior Project was just that it was a project. Okay? It was an experiment. And it's an, uh, an offshoot of one of the experiments that uh, the Nazis actually were doing before and during war, the Second World War, mm-hmm. with the eugenics program and their um, their ultimate warrior program, trying to seek the, the supreme soldier, as it were. And I was uh, essentially thrown into that.
0: Okay. Uh, and uh, we'll get into all the uh, facets of that, I'm sure, here um, in just a little bit. I guess I want to start with a few uh uh, general mind control uh, questions for you if I could um, now, unlike sure. many of the mind control uh, MK ultra type victims who are who are programmed to sort of sort of self destruct upon beginning to remember you sort of beat the system and uh, got most of your memories back in a flash. Can you tell us about that?
1: I wouldn't say that I've beaten the system. Uh, I would say that I'm fighting the system. Uh, what a lot of people don't know is, you know, I've been asked several times as why don't I do more interviews? Well, the long and the short of that is migraines and nosebleeds. About halfway into this interview, I will have to turn the light out and wipe blood from my nose. That's part of the self-destruct, the self-destruct mechanism as you mentioned. Uh, I fight it. I, I just fight it.
0: Well, uh, just let me know, and we'll, we'll do what we can do on this end. Um, now, did you use hypnosis, and uh, at what stage did you use it, if you did?
1: That was about four years ago. Uh, I moved out to Phoenix, Arizona, just for that purpose. Uh, and I found out later on that I was like Daniel in the lion's den. I kind of jumped in the frying pan into the fire. But um, I did go through a couple of hypnotherapy uh, sessions. And they didn't go very well. The uh, alternate personality was triggered in the first one, and he basically went after the guy who hypnotized me. Hmm.
0: Did you learn anything from the hypnosis uh, sessions that you uh, didn't through, say, the the chip frying, or did anything come out of that that wouldn't have otherwise?
1: Actually, yeah. Um, a lot did come out of it. Uh, it was Pretty much concrete proof and a lot of confirmation on on things, but one of the main things I learned is uh, with the alternate personality is just how self defense <clears throat> oriented that personality is. Uh, it will do what is necessary to protect uh, the host, so to speak, you know, which is me. And when that personality is triggered and it comes out, as I said, it will do whatever is necessary to protect itself.
0: Do you think that there's anything we, we,
1: we learned that concrete? Um, uh,
0: I guess I guess they they learned it. Um, do you think there's anything that prevents yeah. that from coming back on the on the programmer themselves?
1: I don't know. I really don't know. I'm sure whoever did the programming with me has their own fail safe switch. They have some key, uh, key trigger words or phrases that they would use once they. End induced hypnosis uh, to keep the alternate from attacking them. I have uh, no doubt about that. I, I know it's some, it's what I would do.
0: Do you ever have any recollection of any handlers or anything from early on at the Project Talent Days, and did it start at the talent sessions?
1: Yeah, I do have uh, some recall of that. Um, I guess this will probably be a good time to launch into the alternate personality, how it was created in me. Um, And in this case, I can only speak for myself. So I know they use different techniques on different people. I'm sure they use the same thing they used on on, on me ever. But with me, what they did as a child, six, seven years old, was to be strapped naked to a wooden chair. And the arms are strapped onto the arms of the chair. The fingers are spread open. And needles were inserted underneath the fingernails. And then they put alligator clips on the end of the needles and plugged it into a box and turned the juice on. As you can imagine, that does cause intense pain. And I don't know how long this went on. I recall it going on until I was in preteens, like 11, 12 years old. And during that time, what they try to do, let me back up a moment. Everybody knows what happens when the body goes through a certain degree of pain. We black out. Okay, we faint. That's our own body's, our own spiky self-defense mechanism. Well, the Nazis during World War II came up with a drug that prohibits the body from blacking out. So the pain and the torture and the conditioning and that's what it was called it was called for me was my treatment my conditioning can just go on and on and on once a threshold is reached the human psyche has one of two choices split off into an alternate personality where you just die Mm -hmm. and they're successful, then the individual would split off into a totally alternate personality, which will have a totally clean slate for them to work with. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, reaffirming and more quote-unquote treatments go on and on and on as long as you're being utilized.
0: Right. Right, so it's it's a continual process all throughout right. the situation. And always so probably updating so it, yeah. programs and such on.
1: kind of like having a rechargeable flashlight. You have to, charge it, you have to recharge right. it every so often.
0: What do you think of uh, the modern psychiatry route and how they deal with uh, DID, ritual abuse, government project victims, et cetera? Is that a good route for some people?
1: No. Anyone that went through anything that I did, I would not advise to go to a conventional psychiatrist at all. Um, as a matter of fact, I read a report uh, just uh, the other day <laughs> that there are so many people that are being diagnosed with mental illness that are not mentally ill at all. So no, I, I'm not a believer in uh, modern psycho- Western psychology at all.
0: Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem like say. They, Doesn't seem like they let it get out. Have you ever read the uh, Greenbaum speech? as has come to be known. Yes. Yes, I have. That guy seemed like he uh, knew what was going on for the most part. I think he did. Um, I think he had a
1: pretty good understanding anyway.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, we spoke of Project Paperclip and uh, the drugs they brought over. Do you believe that many of the techniques were Nazi-pioneered?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, See, Project Paperclip was where they brought uh, the majority of the Nazi scientists to this country, to work, uh, Warner Von Braun, to be one Oppenheimer, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And they just were given carte blanche to continue on with their projects.
0: Right. And I think it was like the OSS and CIA that distributed them among like pretty much the entire country in the North and South America. And
1: exactly correct. Exactly and,
0: right. And, um, and also the, the rocket scientists too, I think is what sort of became NASA to some extent. Um, and uh exactly. and you know i think the the reasoning behind it was well if we don't get these scientists then the that the russians are going to get them or the or the or the chinese are going to get them so you know that was the, apparently the reasoning i right. could be a number of reasons really um now when the process of splitting your personality was it was that a high priority with you did they spend a lot of time in the trauma base splitting do you do you feel um uh, that that was i know that you know, they wanted to train you in other capacities, and that was something that they really wanted to do. Was it important to get that base of the trauma base first before they continued with a lot of the training?
1: I think so, yeah. Um, I've given that a lot of thoughts over the past several years. Um, someone who goes through a significant trauma to where the personality is split, it's almost as if that's, that personality is soulless. Uh, con- has no conscience, um, and that personality can be made to do whatever it's told to do, whatever assignment it's given. And that personality has no fear. Um, it, to me, it's it, it's soulless. You know, it, it's the perfect soldier.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you think that the technology of uh, splitting personalities uh, to make different types of slaves, has moved into um, the control of other groups, um, i.e. non-military, like the elite sex rings and stuff. Has the technology gotten out into other hands nowadays, do you feel?
1: I think it always has been, quite frankly. I don't think these projects are conclusively military. Uh, it's kind of like... Um, subdividing a project where you would have ten groups working on the same project but neither group knew knew the, the sum of the whole project right, right. Uh, I think it, it falls along those lines um, also these are black these were black operations and still are black you know black operations uh, they're not something that anyone in the military that god I hate to use this this phrase but I'm going to use it that's in the normal military these are not something that those people would have a clue that they even exist mm-hmm. these are things that are kept underground uh... eyes only ears only need to know bases you know that kind of thing It's not something that um, corporal so-and-so and sergeant so-and-so would, would have any clue about
0: Right. Um. What types, uh, from the people that uh, have contacted you or the things that you know about it, uh, what sorts of jobs are are you finding are these mind-controlled people, or what are they groomed to perform? Uh, what types of things like, like we have, you know, um, is there common jobs that they're being used for?
1: What I've seen, and I've been contacted by several people who were in uh, very similar situations, and that i was in i've even been contacted by a gentleman who was one generation before me so that would put him at least 20 years older than me um it seems from what i have seen and until i'm shown otherwise i'll stick with this it kind of falls into three main categories soldier assassin and just slave um A lot of people are are very well aware of uh, the people who were in MKUltra that were the, quote, sex slaves, okay? As bad as that is, that wasn't their only function. The secondary function was they acted like human recorders uh, to where they remembered everything they saw, everything they heard, and they would uh, go back and they would be able to report to... The superiors everything they saw
0: and heard. That makes sense.
1: That was another aspect of what they were used
0: for. Yeah, I hadn't heard that before. That's that makes total sense. Um, now you found out later in your life that your father was CIA, right? Correct. Now, Correct. That seems to be a common trait with different uh, different people involved in the in the mind control programs. Um, do you find that also to be true?
1: Yeah, I do. It really does seem to be generational,
0: doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Do you, now that would, I now that a lot. Now, would that, I mean, that kind of means it seems like that they're somehow forced to uh, to sort of hand over their, their children, I mean, against their will to some extent, but that's probably because they are know something or are somehow forced to do something. Uh, did you find, uh, how did you find out about your father and did you feel that he had those types of feelings about it?
1: Um, I found out that my father was uh, ex-CIA years after he died. Um, I found that I inherited some property in the Virgin Islands, uh, on the island of St. Thomas. And I flew down there, and to my knowledge, at that time, that was the first time I'd been there. And as soon as I stepped off the plane, I started recognizing landmarks. And when I met with the attorney, who was the uh, probate master, as they call it down there, of the property, I recognized him, and he instantly said, "I haven't seen you since you were a small boy," and I'm a like, good lord, what's going on here, you know? And then he went on to essentially tell me the story that my dad was stationed there, and that he was uh, part of the CIA. He was essentially uh, what we would term muscle. He got things done. And that a lifelong friend of his, who I met once when I was about uh, 14, was the station chief there. And one thing led to another, and he took me around to some of the retired government officials, and they confirmed the story. And I started walking around the uh, outdoor market, and people still recognize me. So evidently I had spent quite a bit of time there as a small boy. Hmm. But that was my introduction to learning that my father was in the CIA.
0: And uh, did it ever seem like he was torn to, to say, did it feel like he was uh, prevented from, you know, I mean, from spilling the beans? I don't know. I don't know
1: how that... Well... I know what you're asking. Um, I honestly don't think he had a choice in the matter. But at the same time, when I was in my early to mid-20s, he, in retrospect now, I think he was giving me hints and clues. Uh, He would talk about his trips to Mexico City, uh, his trips uh, to Montauk, New York and places like that, and I would ask him, you know, what in the world were you doing there at this particular time? And he would make the little comments that uh, someday you'll know and you'll find out and, you know, that kind of thing. I think he was cracking the door for me to research myself and see what I could find out. Mm -hmm. And then once I found out that he was actually in the CIA, I did start doing some research.
0: Um, And now in 1966, when you were six years old, um, you say you remember being chosen for Project uh, Talent. Um, Can you describe uh, that process of how that went down?
1: Oh, yeah. That was uh, one of the weirdest things ever. Uh, I remember the ride there uh, very vividly. It was in the wintertime. And my parents basically weren't speaking to each other. And when we got there... Uh, they had a slight argument in uh, some hushed tones. So my mother took me into this hardware store <laughs> of all places. And we went to the back of the store and there was a doorway, a door there in the wall. It's one of those things that if you didn't know it was there, you walk up by it. And she just opened the door and we went in. And there was a group of kids there, a half dozen, you know, seven or eight, at these low, like kindergarten tables, and they were working puzzle pieces. And this lady came over, who was uh, what I call dressed to the nines, um, very out of place, and had me sit down. And she put me a stack of puzzle pieces in front of me, and told me to, uh, in her words, make me a pretty picture. You know, that's what you tell a six-year-old kid. And I looked around to find my mom to see if it was okay, and she's talking to a guy in a suit who has a clipboard with a bunch of papers on it, and she's signing some papers. Well, I don't know how much time passed, but I made a picture out of the puzzle. And the lady came over, looked at it, smiled, looked up at the the guy and said, We've got one. And then I was given something to drink, and that's... all I remember about
0: that day. Now you say the next next real memories you started getting back were some years later, actually, from that day.
1: Correct. I was about nine nine and a half years
0: old. Some some three and a half years later. Um. Now right. that that time was apparently where the bulk of the beginnings of Project Talent was being done, uh, and that was again the. the to hone your psychic abilities and probably begin some of the trauma-based mind control. Is there some vivid, I mean, maybe not vivid, but just some highlights that you remember from that time now, looking back on it, of the talent years?
1: Oh, I remember that chair. Yeah. Uh, I'm 46 years old, and I still wake up uh, soaked in sweat uh, and screaming from being in that chair. Mm -hmm. Uh, No one touches my fingertips. I go ballistic if you touch my fingertips. Um, I remember uh, some other things. I remember being slapped around, um, told <clears throat> told to do something in training sessions, and if you didn't get it right, you were literally just open hand slapped on your back. I mean, you were just knocked down. Uh, it was the training that we went through was brutal. You know. Now there's no question about that. We were. You learned to do it right because <laughs> right. you didn't want to get beat up anymore, right. you know. And I remember that was when the martial arts training began as well. And we didn't train with our kids. We trained with adults. Now, and that was extremely brutal.
0: Um, so, so it kind of intersected, Project Talent sort of intersected with the subsequent... Um, now, how did that work as a timeline between Project Phoenix and the Ultimate Warrior project? Did they all just kind of coincide as one large project? You, you mentioned the, the the picking and choosing of different talents, as it were, from different kids and them kind of getting put into right. different places. Um,
1: yeah, um, basically, the way that ran, the way that run, I like to use the analogy that Project Talent was like going to school. Uh, everybody was taught the same thing. Uh, for three, four, or five years like that, <clears throat> and you graduate from uh, grade school up to uh, secondary school, your different talents are now starting to come forward, are starting to show. Then they start uh, taking kids away to different areas to be trained in other things, things that they would be better at. As far as the paranormal aspect of it or the mind aspect of it. Uh, I was decent but not good enough to be what they call the psychic spy. I was more suited, more fitted to be in the Ultimate Warrior Project or the Super Soldier Project. I was more suited for the physical than I was the other. And I've always been told it's because I fight the psychic abilities, that I'm always, I'm I'm my own worst enemy in that respect. I always fight against it
0: now uh presumably you uh started to shine and when you started getting uh put into the uh the martial arts type things and that ended up probably probably being a, a big uh um good a good thing for you was there ever any pride associated with it did you ever did did they you know did you enjoy being good at it was there any good times associated with the training of it or was it all just a job sort of
1: it was all just a job <coughs> and it was all brutal excuse me um uh, I actually opened up a martial arts school when I was 19, uh, nearly 20 years old. I thoroughly enjoyed the martial arts, okay? Um, so I guess, you know, what you're asking, I would say, know yeah, maybe. Uh, that did carry forward with me. Um, and that's when a lot of things started to click because um, I would find myself doing technique and whatnot that I had no memory of being taught. Mm -hmm. And I would stop and sit back and say, where did that come from? (laughs) You know? And finally I had a guy that I was working with. He came in occasionally. He wasn't a a full-time student. He was um, an Army Special Forces guy. And um, at least that's what he told me. And... I took him down one day very easily and he jumped up and was, you know, screaming, you know, where did you learn that particular technique? And I'm, I'm kind of dumbfounded myself and all I could say, I don't know. And he said, the only place you could learn that was on the farm. Well, I grew up on a, on a farm. (laughs) I think, well, I didn't learn this from the, you know, the cows and chickens. What (laughs) farm are you talking about? And that was my introduction to, uh, in, this world uh the CIA farm and he told me that basically that was something that they taught there that particular technique Mm -hmm. and some little things started to click because at that time I was having nightmares um every night um what they call daymares you know with you close your eyes you start seeing images and that's all I thought they were were just nightmares But I learned later on they weren't nightmares. They were what is uh, called bleed-throughs. They were memories of the alternate personality bleeding through into my memories. Mm -hmm.
0: Now, your ancestry plays a very prominent uh, role in why you think you were chosen initially. Uh, Can you tell us about that?
1: Yeah, I'm half Irish on my father's side and half Cherokee Indian on my mother's side. And the way that was explained to me is that the Celts and the native Native Americans seem to have higher psychic abilities than anyone else. Uh I I don't me person I don't know why that is. Um, but I did some research on it and it does it seems to be that way. And I think part of that is they don't shy away from it. That's two cultures that don't shy away from uh, psychic or paranormal abilities. As a matter of fact, they praise it, they look for it. Um, you know, you have the ancient druids and whatnot, uh, the uh, North American medicine man, medicine woman, that most people know as shamans. Um, I think that had a great deal to, to do with it.
0: Now you describe your psychic ability mainly as uh, seeing quick mental images of what a particular person is concerned with at a given time. Um, right. How how do you uh, understand psychic ability as a whole, uh, both yours and other people's? Um, um, how do you understand its process? What what do you believe is the source in, of its? I mean, how do how do you see it?
1: Ooh. Quick answer: I look at it as a gift. Um, it can be used for good or bad. And mm, uh, that's a good one. You got me. You got me on that one. I have to think about that one. Okay. No one's ever no one, no one's ever asked me that one before.
0: Yeah. All right. Um, well, how, how are you feeling? Are you feeling all right?
1: Well, I've got a busting headache, but. I've had one now for just about a month solid,
0: oh yeah now, how are you feeling um in general as far as uh, i know you had the the wreck uh recently and had the ruptured discs or what it what it was it
1: yeah it uh herniated three discs in my neck uh c two c three and c four hmm.
0: uh would you still consider that a blessing as what it what it came to be i guess with the with the chipping or you
1: probably... i consider yeah yeah i I looked at it as a blessing and, and a curse. <laughs> it um, did permanent damage to my neck that uh, can't be fixed. Uh, it would do nothing but continue as I get older to get worse. But at the same time, if that had not have happened, and in retrospect and after finding out what I found out, we're not too sure that that wreck was an accident.
2: Hmm.
1: Interesting. For, you know, Given that thing, I, I never look look, in, look into. Hmm. Now, but go ahead. If
0: go ahead, uh, I was just going to ask. Um, um, no, go ahead. Yeah. I, well, I was going to ask if there was uh, any particular. Uh, visual, visualization or anything you do to deal with the pain, I know that you had described the pain as being fairly constant and that you didn't take pain medication and uh, with your history of pain as it were, I wondered if there was anything you could tell people about anything you do, a visualization to deal with it or is there anything that you can tell yourself that works for you uh, to think about You know, when conquering pain? Uh,
1: for me I, just, I stay busy it's there if you go through a certain amount of pain on a daily basis, anybody who suffers chronic pain will tell you, uh, you kind of get numb to it, and you learn to adapt to it, which is basically you know, what I did. Uh, working out every day does help. It really does. If I go uh, a week and I don't work out, it's much, much worse. Uh, the only pain meds I take on a daily basis is ibuprofen. And it really don't help the pain, but it helps the swelling in the disc. (laughs) If I don't take it for a few days, man, they really swell up. Where you can visibly see knots in the sides of my neck. (laughs) Mm. They will swell up that bad. Um, But as far, just the main thing is just don't give into it. You know, don't give up. Don't let it win
0: and i guess it gives you a unique perspective on uh you know what they they could do to you uh you know if they did i mean you know what are they going to do torture you again you know i mean i'm sure nobody wants to do it again but at the same time you you know it gives a certain amount of uh i don't know i don't know what i don't know you know what i'm asking there
1: yeah i i i do uh, and i i think basically what i went through as a kid with the needles and the electricity and, and all that Kind of bleeds over into what I'm going through with the neck injuries and, and everything now. Uh, one thing that all that did that they did to us as kids really gave us tremendous pain tolerance. Um, and I think actually, well, that they may not know it, but they did help me in that respect. I'm not going to thank them for it. Right. But they did. <laughs>
0: Well, this next question is kind of a loaded one, it looks like. Um, Now, when you spoke of the first time you went to Vietnam uh, that you know of, you were 12 years old, and you and 12 other children were uh, used to psychically take out a radius of enemies. You say that this was a story that was confirmed to you independently by a Marine Corps captain, and that you even had uh, been contacted by one of the other children at the time. Um, You said that that particular person that was not willing to speak out. And uh, my question is, uh, of the people involved in these programs that have made contact, what level of the understanding uh, do they have in all of this? Are they still grasping for clues? And and what are some of the ways used to prevent and scare people from speaking out about things like that? Why would they be not uh, willing to speak Um, out? Okay. Uh,
1: Start at the beginning. When I first started remembering that, I remembered that incident from the time I was young very young and it was one of those things like I said that I thought was just a nightmare that turned out not to be a nightmare um when I got confirmation of that one of the gentlemen who was in the Marines we actually did an interview together that hasn't been put up yet we did it back in December I don't know what the deal is but um he was as shocked to see me as I was to see him and he called another officer that he knew that was there as well. And he told him basically the exact same thing. That, you know, we went in there, we got off the chopper, we held hands, formed a, a semi-circle, raised our arms up, and bam. There was a blinding white flash, and it was over. Now, I've been reading around the Internet over the past couple of weeks, of people saying, "You know, if that's possible, why didn't we win the war? If people could do that, why don't we just go to Iraq and do that and get out?" Well, my take on that is, the whole thing was an experiment. We were all part of an experiment. I think the incident there in uh, in Cambodia was a training exercise. I don't think they real they knew it would work or not. But you know, evidently it did, and there are some extremely reliable witnesses who confirm that. And this is not something that you would want to do in Iraq; um, <laughs> then the world would know. This is something they want to keep secret. Right. Um, the other part of your question is what what do "quote unquote" they do to try to dissuade? people from coming forward. One of the things they do is exactly what they're doing to me right now. They try to uh, discredit as much as possible. Uh, They brand you a kook, um, a drug abuser, et cetera, et cetera, and I've been branded all of those. Um, And they get you right off off the bat, okay? Uh, I did an interview with uh, a guy out of uh, Kansas City, Missouri, about a year ago, and <laughs> his radio station was vandalized right right afterwards, and he and the people who worked for him were all followed around by big black SUVs for a while, oh, and I can't, even, I can't get back in touch with him anymore.
0: Oh, that's just great.
1: <laughs> yeah, so, oh, no. you know, this, this stuff happens.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, now, I found that the Navy is a branch that gets brought up a lot in these discussions with MK Ultra type and UFO type phenomena. Uh, did you find that to be true? you were you on a lot of those bases, or was it pretty much mixed?
1: Pretty much all over the board. Um, I even heard—I uh, <laughs> heard it today, as a matter of fact—where this uh, Army doctor, uh, Mister X. We'll have to call him because he didn't give his name. And his voice was synthesized, uh, and he didn't believe me because he was an Army doctor for 20 years, and he had no such knowledge. And uh, if anything like this was going on, he would have known about it. Well, (laughs) you know, that goes back to what I said uh, a little while ago. It's a need-to-know basis, okay? And if you don't need to know, they ain't going to tell you. Mm Mm-hmm. And if you find out about it, they will persuade you from talking about it, Mm -hmm. especially if you're in the active military.
2: Um,
0: What do you think of people like Arizona Wilder? Uh, Any first impressions? I don't know if you've seen any red flags or light bulbs uh, when listening to her story. She also claims to be from um, uh, her natural psychic ability and Irish heritage. Um, She's basically, the only difference is she seems to be bred for it in her family, and she was used from birth. Did did any of it ring true with her?
1: You know, I have never heard one of her interviews. Um, I know a little about her story, uh, that she's able to open doorways and whatnot. I really don't know. I've never seen anything like that done. Uh, To my memory, I've never seen it done. Um, But I will say this. One of the things that I was talking about under hypnosis was opening a doorway, and I do not know, even you know, even to the day I don't know what that meant. Um, but after reading a little bit about her this, this afternoon, um, I don't know. I what I would have to do before I can give you an honest unbiased answer will be to watch some of her videos and check up on her a little bit more.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. I'd be more than happy to do that.
0: Yeah, I encourage you to do it. There's a lot of uh, truth. I I feel that there has to be a lot of stuff read in between the lines with her because uh, she admits to still holding a lot of sleeping programs and very well could be uh, carrying a lot of misinformation and whatnot. Uh, I think it's more important of what she has been explained in her schooling what these different things were. She was told a, a very important backstory, but it goes into uh, something else. Just wanted to get your take on that. Um,
1: now, well, as far yeah, as that's excellent, that's excellent too. Uh, you see, one here, This is the way I do the way I do things. I don't talk about anything in an interview that I don't have some proof of, and I try to get uh, three different forms of proof uh that's why when i say something yes this happened i have proof that it happened okay i even have eyewitnesses i have documentation i have physical proof something or a combination of all there are a lot of things in my memory a lot of things that i remember that i can't prove yet so i don't bring them up i don't talk about them during during interviews i try to stick with what i can you know, what I can prove. So she is absolutely correct. As you said, where she thinks that, uh, some of her memories are dis- disinformation or false memories. Yeah, I, I will, I'll agree with that. Uh, just as I have no doubt that some of my memories are false memories. Mm-hmm. That's why, like I said, I try to find the proof right. of that memory. That makes sense. Is it true? Is it not?
0: Um, now do you think uh that that your your unique the chip frying and the MRI uh saved you from being used again as a as an assassin or, yep. or anything else?
1: Yes sir, yes sir I, sh- I do. Yes sir I do. Do you think that that chip was
0: primarily to I mean do you think it had multiple uses? Because it seems like it was somehow uh, uh, holding some kind of memories in place or out of place or something in addition to probably, you know, being attracting, tracking or, and maybe doing a whole number of things. Do you feel that way?
1: Yes, I do. Uh, the finding of these chips, oh, man, were pure accidental. Uh, the chip I have in my left hand was purely accident. Uh, I worked in a factory at that time, and I broke the thumb on my left hand. And I went to a little emergency treatment center, and they x-rayed it. And when the doctor came back with the x-rays, he was more concerned with the piece of metal running, <laughs> running through the knuck, my knuckles than he was with the broken thumb. And after we got my thumb all splinted up, he started to talk to me about it. He said, you know, how much pain are you in with this? And, you know, my comment was, I didn't know it was there. There is no pain. And I looked at it on X-ray and I'm like, holy cow. You know, there's a nice piece of metal in there. (laughs) And it was suggested that I have it removed. And a couple of years later, I did try to have it removed. And one of the surgeons flat refused. And one surgeon said he probably could, but I would might lose it, the use of uh, two fingers on my hand. So I elected not to lose the use of those two fingers. Hmm. So the chip is still there. The cranial implant, we found out when I got put in the MRI um, <clears throat> a couple weeks later after the uh, neck injury. And I know, you know, I've said it on several other interviews that the MRI machine called on fire... <laughs> And that seems to kind of uh, explode into a wild, wildfire of its own. Uh, you know, I flatly said I didn't see flame anywhere, but I could smell smoke. Whether it came from the actual machine or the control panel, I don't know. But what happened is when they put me in there and I went back in the tunnel, and when the imaging scan began to turn, when it started booting, no. It felt like someone Drove a hot spike Through my skull And I saw Thousands of images Coming at me at once It was almost like seeing um, A thousand TV screens And on each screen was a memory And they all just came Just, flooding, just You know, bam, bam, bam One after the other And I came pushed myself out of there, man. I came out. I rolled off of it, and I was screaming to the top of my lungs. The techs and the nurses, I, and I had a subsequent MRI a couple of weeks later that there were no problems with, and those are the films that I have.
0: Um, now, have you... Have you been contacted in any way or threatened uh, by anybody or anything lately, Any anything like that lately?
1: Not myself. Uh, the one gentleman who was there in Cambodia who I did the interview with received a phone call from a quote-unquote friend in D.C. And we were warned that they were going to literally tear us apart do a total disinformation, discredit campaign. Um, and it looks like they pretty much they start, have started that. There seems to be a concerted effort out there on the Internet to do just that. Um, I don't know what some of these people are thinking, but, <laughs> but that's kind of where that stands. Um, they have tried to take me out several times over the past few years. Um, One time I had my car was shotgunned uh, with me in it. Um, Another time uh, a car cut me off at an intersection while I was out for a run, and that was a knife attack. And it it just goes on and on and on. Okay, they tried several times. But over the past couple of years, basically, no, they have not done anything directly to me in that way except messing around with my bank account, my computers, my phones, my cell phones. Um, they seem to have gone that route. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, now, since your interviews, uh, have you been in contact with uh, more and more um, victims and or, or people that have been through these type things, and, and has that been a good uh, thing and a bad thing? Or or? How do you see that?
1: I have, yeah, I have uh, several. As a matter of fact, I think it's a, to me, it, it's all been positive on that end. Um, most people who contact me um, are very favorable. Uh, they applaud what I'm doing. I, I really appreciate that So there are mornings I get up and I'm thinking, I don't want to do this anymore." You know, I'm just going to fade into the background now. But then I get contacted either via phone or email or something some of these people and I'll read those letters and listen to those phone calls and okay I'll fight you know I'll fight another day I'll fight one more day and
0: what is your email address that's all, for those who are listening
1: sure F-I-N-N B-A-R X-X-X at Yahoo
0: F-I-N-N mm-hmm bar. okay X-X-X okay
1: Mbarxx at Yahoo.com.
0: Okay. Um, do you feel good about the level of waking up about this, or is it is it is it frustrating? Is it encouraging? What do you f- see and feel is happening, and the understanding of this as as a more people are uh, waking up?
1: Oh man, I run the gambit. Uh, I run the gambit on different emotions on different days. Um, when well, I get an email from a guy who's ex-military and he you said, you know, God bless you, you've got the courage where I didn't. Something like that. That makes me feel feel good and that makes me feel like what I'm doing is very, very worthwhile. And I'll there's something I want to get into concerning that in just a yeah. minute. But when I get an email from someone who says, I think you're nothing but BS you know, I read those and part of me wants to laugh. And partly wants to cry because I'm thinking, you know, how can you feel this way? Look at the evidence. If you don't believe me, do some research. Mm-hmm. You know, this stuff is out there. You have to dig a little bit for it. You have to look a little bit for it. But the information is out there. On my webpage, I have tons and tons of links to places, to uh, medical papers, uh Showing that these experiments were being done as far back as the 1920s, that they were putting cranial implants on people as early as 1923. You know, so this stuff is real. If you don't want to believe me, that's fine. You know, I, it's not my job to com- to convince anyone.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm just putting it out there. Mm-hmm. But if you don't want to believe me, do some research yourself. Then in- the information's out there
0: okay um, now what now uh, just for people that are just listening or caught this midway this is Robert Duncan Ofinian is his name and what what is the website Robert? Or-
1: uh, the easiest way is go to wintersteel.com
0: okay winter as in and go winter. all the way
1: down yeah go all the way down to the bottom of the of the first page and you'll see who's who and my name is there click on my name and that will take you to uh, my information.
0: Has there in, been any political developments with this? Or has anybody been talking about it or introduced something? I know how difficult that can be, uh, especially something like this. But is there any anything going on in that realm?
1: Well, what I'm seeing is, <clears throat> excuse me, since the, the Project Camelot interview came out, uh, once it hit Google, um, coincidence or not, it seems that a lot of information has came forward. Uh, CNN several weeks ago, did that show of um, third world countries taking uh, children as young as four and five and training them to be soldiers, using trauma-based torture Hmm. and sleep deprivation and drugs, sound familiar? Yeah. Uh, To turn them into soldiers. Um, A lot of information like that has been coming out over the past couple of months. On the political end of it, that's my goal. Is to get this in front of Congress, whether it does good or not. That's my goal, mm-hmm. and I want to be able. To, I want to sit in front of the full Congress and do this. Do this exact same thing. You know, my goal when I started this was not to make a name for myself or make a fortune off of. Man, I haven't made a dime. And I'm not looking to make a dime. Uh, I've been accused of doing this to sell books. Well, I have given so many books away. Uh, last count, I have given over a thousand books away. Mm-hmm. You know, I never started this to make money. Uh, I started this to stop these projects. Not so much for what happens with an adult, but what happened to us as children. That's... My main goal is to stop this being done to children. And I think what disheartens me the most, you asked this earlier, is what I'm seeing is all people can say, well, nothing to prove this, nothing will prove that. You say you can do this, you say you can punch this, you used to be able to kick this and all this and that. That proof will be put forward. Okay, when the time is right, I'm protecting other people. But no one seems to be caring, actually, about what happened to us as children and what is in all likelihood still happening to children. And that, to me, that's, that's sad. It's very sad. Mm-hmm.
0: And I think that it's more widespread than people even have any clue about. And it's not just you know for military projects and, and this and that. They're getting trained right in your backyard of your of your small town. You know it's true. it's everywhere. Exactly,
1: thousands thousands of kids a, a year disappeared, never to be seen or heard from again.
0: And you know there are plenty of reasons why, but but man, I, I none of them are good, and they're all they're all no yeah um, exactly. Uh, and, and, you know, it's it's, it's amazing, especially the, the claims of, of the ritual abuse and how prominent that seems to be in psychiatry. And, you know, and and yeah, that's just exactly. that's scary, you know, to know that they're being bred, like, you know, to be slaughtered in a lot of cases. Um, I know. Uh, let's see here. Um, now, that, just like you said, everyone, everyone's... Wants to see hardcore proof. Everyone wants to see all this stuff, and you're—I mean, you—you you have your claims are very provable. I mean, either you do have these th- these chips in your in your head in your hand, and you have a hardwired arm, or, or not. So, I mean, what what can we say to them to to quell that thirst? And what what when when could that you know whatever?
1: They're going to they're going to see it. Yeah, they're going to see it. We are going to release the x-rays, the MRIs, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, You know, like I said a a moment ago, there are innocent people that I have to think about. You know, I have children, and I have people that I care deeply about, and they come first. Protecting them comes first. And one of the things that really burnt me up was right after the, the... Project Camelot interview came out there was a group of people on the net and this was a very if you don't mind me going on a short rant rant away uh, well a very concerted effort and I was basically told send us all your information and we'll look at it and we'll deem whether it's true or not and my reply was "Uh, duh no (laughs) are you kidding me you know, I'm, I'm crazy, not stupid, okay? Um, and then there, right after that, there was a very concerted effort to... Uh, I'm searching for words here. Please edit out the pauses. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to be nice as well. Uh, there was a major effort out there to prove me a hoax or a fake. And that also bled over into certain people in the media, uh, certain people kind of high up. And that makes one really have to question, why spend so much effort trying to prove me a fake? You know, if somebody's a fake, they usually fall on their own sword rather quickly. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So why spend all the time and effort to prove me a fake? Right. My answer to that, I have somebody very worried.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I have some people very scared right now, and they ain't seen nothing yet. Uh, so here, I'll tell you, here are some plans that we have. Yes, uh, I'll come right up front. Yes, I do have an agent, or let me rephrase that. She used to be an agent. We formed our own partnership, our own company, so that we can... Do this and do it right so that we can have legal representation and, a, you know, a whole boatload of lawyers to keep us protected. Because some of the stuff that I did, eh, was nasty. Okay? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm going to need legal representation somewhere down the road. Right. One of the things we're going to do is I'm going to go through a never hypnosis session where I am restrained. And we're going to have the alternate personality brought forward. And we're going to videotape it. And when that's done, we will release the videotape.
2: Hmm.
1: As far as the x rays and MRIs, we will release those. As far as the physical abilities, you know, again, people hear something and they hear what they want to hear. Um, What I said on the Project Camelot interview is that this was what I was able to do when I was tested. When I was tested, I was 24 years old. I'm 46 now. No, I'm not what I was when I was 24 years old. Mm -hmm. But I'll still hold my own against anybody. Right. Um, I do have plans, and I discussed this with my partner this morning. She's against it, but she's going to go along with it. I'm going to go back in the ring one more time. And we're going to talk to um, Calvin Harris with the Bodog people and see what we can do. Huh. Interesting. Uh, here's going to be a 47-year-old comeback. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: that'll cause a little stir there.
1: I think it will. Um, and we, we, we're also going to do a, uh, a video of, uh, some of my, some of my workouts. Um, I will toot my own horn on this one. You know, I'm 46 years old, nearly 47, but I'm in pretty, pretty darn good shape. Okay. Um, one of the things that one guy actually wrote, he said, I can't believe your story because he has a double chin and a pot belly." Hmm. <laughs> Pot belly. I don't have double chin I've had since I was 30. <laughs> I can't do anything about it. Um, one guy said he couldn't believe anything I said because my tattoo on my forearm was uh, three swastikas. Okay, I don't understand that one, guy. Can you explain it to me? It's a dragon. <laughs> right. Yeah, and this has been a lot of stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But to answer that question in a nutshell and in, in the rant, I guess, is, is all the proof that everybody is out there screaming for, it. they're going to get it. But it has to be done in the right way.
0: I hear you, man. I think this,
1: that... is, this is my survival we're talking about. And it seems that there's a group of people out there quite disconcerted that I'm not dead yet. Mm-hmm. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I'm good at staying alive.
0: I think I hope this uh, interview helps uh, calm some of those fears, too, and also people, I'm sure, can uh, can keep updated with that. And like you said, I mean, you have to you have to protect yourself in a number of ways and a lot of people because, you know, it, once you prove what you've done, it won't necessarily be a good thing to be proving in a lot of circles, but it, at the same time, it has to be done.
1: Well, yeah, exactly. Once I prove, uh, once all this is proved, once all the evidence is out there, there will be a break period okay, because they they, quote unquote won't do anything for quite a while but let's face it Chris, I'm a a dead man we know that Uh, I'm walking around on bald time and what happened is several years ago when I decided to come forward I'm sitting in my little studio computer room, 2 o'clock in the morning And I look across the street, and I see a black SUV sitting in the parking lot across from me. And I start watching it, and night after night after night, it's sitting there. And one night, I said, I've had enough. I took uh, some coffee, poured two coffee cups, walked out the door with it, got to the parking lot. I said, you guys want some coffee? (laughs) Oh, shit. They tore out of there (laughs) like (laughs) that, you know where. And... Not long after that, there was an attempted hit on me. And that was about the closest they ever came to getting me. I almost didn't make, that, make it on, on that one. And I knew I had to do something. Running with a family is, this doesn't work. I tried that. It, it doesn't work. So the only thing that I could see to do after a lot of consideration and a lot of deliberation was to go forward. And I knew doing this would take the heat off my family, but it would put it directly on me. You know, I know there's people out there that think I'm the biggest kook, you know, says cook go to clown. <laughs> That's fine. I can live, I can deal with that. It takes the heat off my wife and my kids. Fine. That's all I need.
0: Absolutely. Um, now, do you, let me get back to some of the things, do you remember if there was any part of your training or, or programming that dealt with anything, uh, any occult principles or anything like that, anything that ever came up regarding that? Do you remember any of your handlers, superiors, or any other victims, speaking of occult rituals or beliefs, did it play any role whatsoever in your memory?
1: I've been asked that one before. Um only thing I can tell you, uh, I'm what they call. I'm a non-practicing Catholic. Okay, I was raised Catholic. Uh, several years ago, one of the last times that I remember having direct contact with any of these people, uh, they grabbed me, and I've never, I've never said this on an interview before. So you're the first. You're, you and your listeners are the first ones to hear this. They got me. How they got me, I don't know. But when I woke up, I'm on a steel table, and I can't move from the waist down. And there's a guy standing there in a suit who I recognized from years before. He was much older, but I, I did recognize this guy. And I instantly you know, started praying the whole nine yards. And he walks up, and he's laughing. And he says that's not going to work this time that's always stuck with me this time hmm. so I started questioning myself uh days later once I recovered from it does that mean it does that mean to say that something like similar has happened before where prayer stopped it mm-hmm
0: well, uh, just to interject a little bit, I've noticed a lot of the UFO alien abduction phenomena uh, gets whitewashed. That many of the people that are abducted, they, they whitewash the fact that a lot of those people have been uh, involved in some way, dabbled in in the um, some sort of varied occult thing. But but but. The people that have stopped it by different prayers and and uh, and and not just sp- specific prayers or anything, but but stopped it through prayer has has uh, you know it's been documented that people have ended attacks like that, so it, it's it's not unheard of by any means. Um,
1: no, absolutely not. Uh, listen, I'll be very forthcoming here. I am a firm believer in in the grand creator. I am a firm believer that we are in a fight. Uh, dark versus light, you know, good versus evil. Uh, I believe I believe in that everything in me, and I also believe that in these pro- projects that I w- was involved in, there is um, over at least minimal overtones of different cults. And I, the reason I say this is because. The Nazis and especially Adolf Hitler were involved. And these projects come directly from that group. hmm So to me it would stand the reason that there is a connection there. Now you just, just because I can't remember it, okay, doesn't make it <laughs> doesn't mean it didn't happen.
0: Right, or it didn't work before, as you said. Now you described a series of events uh when you were around fourteen when a man who apparently knew your father from the CIA showed up and gave uh, your father some sort of unknown bad news uh, that event the that event uh followed uh, there were some events that followed um, Can you describe that those events?
1: Yeah, uh one of the weirdest events in my life um, it's early spring and it's almost uh, planting season i'm working on working on a tractor now at this time we lived darn near a a full mile up a dirt road off the main road and it was a beautiful place i mean once you once you came up and got to the farm it just opened up into like a valley and it was absolutely beautiful and i love that place but i'm working on a tractor and it was one of those times where you sense the vehicle coming before you hear it or see it. And finally, this big white van comes up, and he has a uh, UVH, VHS antenna on the top of it. And it's brand new, and in that area where I grew up, you know, nobody had anything like that. And it had Texas tags. And the guy come, gets out of the van walks by me, spoke to me by name. Uh, he knew me, and at that time, I had two thoughts. One was to kill him. The other was to run. This man, this man frightened me. And he wanted to know where my dad was, and about that time, my dad came down from the house, and they were both named Paul, <laughs> as a matter of fact, and Of course, they did the handshaking and the slap on the back and the hugs and all this stuff. Well, finally, the other guy looks at my dad and says, we we need to go have a talk. So they went up to the house and started walking around the backyard. About 20 minutes later, this guy comes back down from the house, and he's not laughing and joking like he was when he first pulled in, got in his van, and left. Well, my dad was booger the rest of the day. You know, okay, nobody even wanted to get around it. I think what you're asking me is what started to transpire that night. My mother had a habit of going out at night after all the work was done and sitting on the front porch. She would do this even when it was cold. Now, I know you know what a old regular Baptist is. Uh, I think so. Well, in, uh, country terms, uh, you had Baptists and you have what was called Old Regular Baptists. They were the real strong Christian Baptists. Okay. Okay. Well, she was one of those. And if it wasn't in the Bible, she didn't believe it. Okay. And I slipped upstairs and I remember she came blind in the front door screaming for my dad that there was something over top of the house. So he goes outside, of course by that time he's gone, and he acted like he didn't believe her, but in retrospect, knowing what I know now, I think he did believe her. So she described it as being uh, bigger than the house, round, floating, with lights around. It. And it didn't make a sound. Well, the second night, they were both on the front porch, and they both saw it. The third night, I remember I worked all day, worked out several hours. I'm tired. I go to bed, and I wake up feeling like I'm on fire, and open my eyes, and I can't move. The room itself is bathed in white light, and there is a bipedaled something standing by my bed. And the reason I say that is because all I can see are two arms, a body, two legs, and a head. That's all. just the outline. I can't, there's no facial features, there's no finger features, nothing. And the next thing I remember is my father shaking me. Because they had saw the light as well and thought that I had set the upstairs on fire. That's all I remember. I don't remember anything else until I'm
0: nearly 18. Hmm. Now, looking back on that event, uh, and I guess it, it, it seems to connect with all of this, have you come up with any theories on what the crafts were, the light, uh, how it happened? Do you think the CIA operated these vehicles? Uh, do you think it was aliens? Do you think both? What do you think you did for four years?
1: Uh, I have came up with some information about that. I was in several places, uh, a couple of foreign lands during that time. Um, I found out that during that time I was also on some military bases. And I do have proof of where I was at the Norfolk Station in Virginia, at that uh, naval base. I have an eyewitness to that account. And he may come forward, he may not. But I do have everything on tape and everything on disk about that, all of our conversations. I I don't know. I've given a lot of thought to that. Um, I I do believe that government technology is minimal 40 years more advanced than what we have. I fully believe that, or, or what we know. Was it alien or government and alien together? That wouldn't surprise me. Um, to think that we're the only life in this in the vastness of the universe? Uh, no, <laughs> that would be total arrogance. Uh, one thing that I can honestly say that I think I know about the Creator is that the Creator isn't wasteful. You know, if we were the only intelligent life. And, this, and the vastness of space, then that would be a waste.
0: <laughs> I agree.
1: <laughs> but to answer your question, I honestly don't know. I honestly don't know if it was uh, military, government, or uh, alien, or a combination of the three.
0: Now, as an uh, uh, assassin trained by Project Phoenix, is that correct? Is that what the primary purpose was of that project was?
1: Well, actually, Project Phoenix was an assassination prog- uh, program uh, primarily used, uh, started and, and used during the Vietnam era, where they trained assassins in, in Vietnam. Um, I honestly believe that I received a lot of training in Nam. Uh, I have more memories than just the one incident of being in North Vietnam. Right. Uh, one of the memories I have is being in a helicopter, and the helicopter was shot down. Uh, we were maybe 10 feet off the ground, and one of the things I vividly remember is being past the point of exhaustion. <clears throat> and I was a young teenager, probably 15. Uh, I know most of the fighting during that time was over, that most people knew about, but black operations continued on, and they still continue. Mm
0: -hmm. Just as a side note, do you feel that anything uh, now, knowing what you may have seen or didn't see in Vietnam, uh, of what that conflict was about, you hear a lot about it being about, you know, different heroin deals and getting money for arms and things of that nature. Any any inside info on that stuff?
1: Yeah, I think that was one. Uh, It's commonly known the best the best heroin or the best cocaine comes from the CIA. Yeah. Um the access to the Golden Triangle was only one aspect of Vietnam. They used the Vietnam War as a training ground and a breeding ground. You know, they recruited people for the CIA from the military during Vietnam. And they tested weapons during Vietnam. They they tested projects like us. Mm-hmm. OK, uh, they use wars as testing grounds.
0: It's just an excuse to have no rules and no consequences.
1: Okay. For exactly. Um, now, how long
0: do you think you, that you were used in that capacity as as an assassin and, and for what ages?
1: I know I was used up until 1985 when I was 25 years. I know I was used for uh, one job that spring, the spring of 1985. Um, After that, I really don't know.
0: It sounds like hearing a few things, that your programming was kind of, uh, you had different short spells of it breaking down a little bit, uh, at least towards the end of your Assassin's stint. I don't know if that we would agree with that or not.
1: I would agree. Uh, my programming seemed to be flawed. Uh, talking to some of the older people that were in a lot of these projects, uh, what they told me is that we were never supposed to get our memories back, or at least if we did, we were supposed to be much older. And what has happened that I have seen is that most of the older guys who started to get their memories back, a great deal of them went insane. Because you're having two personalities, two totally distinct personalities with two totally distinct set of memories. And they're at war with each other. And most people can't handle that.
0: I could only imagine. So they
1: they would go insane or they suicided uh, or they wind up in in mental institution of doorzine every day.
0: Do you have any idea why you uh, were different?
1: You know, I have asked myself that many, many times. And the only answer that I have ever came up with and I think is the best answer is that the creator has, has a plan for me.
0: I would agree with that. Um, That's
1: the only answer i got.
0: I was uh, reading on your website about some of the uh, more sophisticated hardware that they are now attaching to animals and interfacing with different neurological processes. Uh, You describe your arm implant as being associated with your fight-or-flight instinct. uh, Correct. And that makes uh, one wonder, because that equipment installed on you must be less sophisticated than what they would have nowadays, and uh, if they're telling us that right. they can remotely control rats, then that means that they've probably been covertly controlling who knows what for a long time. Um, what exactly. what do you see as 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 where this is going? What is their ultimate objective for soldiers and how they would incorporate this? Um, um, that kind of thing.
1: I think within the next five years, we're all going to be required by law to have have a chip. Um, I think like the chip that's in my shoulder, uh, to say the the, the arm is hardwired is kind of a misrepresentation. Uh, In a sense, it is. That's kind of a broad sense. What the chip is is in the shoulder and it's connected to the neurons. And it increases the electrical stimuli that goes down through the arm. So it's increasing the power in it Also, I have... um, my kidneys on x-ray that shows my I have abnormally large adrenal glands. So when all of this kicks in, and it kicks in with the chip, well, you've got a right arm and a right shoulder that can do some pretty amazing things. Uh, but you're right. The technology just continues to evolve. I look for, if we don't already have it, but I look for somewhere in the near future for a lot of elite special forces all of them to be programmed chipped uh perfect killing units um etc etc uh i also as a way of bringing that out into the public i look for chip technology to finally surface that can make uh people walk again who were crippled um Get use of the arms and legs again, that seems to always be a good way to um, bring evil stuff <laughs> to light. Mm-hmm. Put a good spin on top of it, put a good, a good twist to it. Mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not sure if I answered your question. Oh, yeah,
0: yeah you did. Um, now, was, was there anything that they, um, they tried to get you guys to do, but it, it was impossible at the time that they really wanted out of you guys that wasn't feasible at the time that... Or anything like that.
1: You know, I don't know. The only I I do have a memory about something like that. I remember being in a teenager, probably around sixteen or seventeen, and I was in the face of an older gentleman in uniform. Uh, He was ordering me and another person there to do something, and I was refusing. And I was in his face and I had no fear. I mean, your rank your uniform means nothing to me. And I remember looking around and in all these memories there's always a couple of guys in lab coats. And I also remember seeing what well, looked to be a a general and an admiral. And they're looking at each other and they're laughing about it. But I didn't you know, I did not find the situation funny. Um, I don't remember what it was I was being told to do but I was refusing hmm. and I think that you know we talked about it a minute ago that my program broke down when it shouldn't have mm-hmm. so in, in that aspect then yeah I'm probably a, a, a failure to them in that aspect hmm. I'm very glad for that right hey, yeah you know, that's one that's one failure I don't mind being <laughs> Um,
0: now, just on that, do you have any inside information about, uh, with people you've talked to and things, um, obviously you have an a interesting story to tell about it, but with alien abductions, do you, do you hear anything related to this? Do you think, uh, that it may be connected? Do you have a? Th- uh, I guess I already asked that pretty much, but do you have any theory or any inside information about that? Anybody ever mentioned anything like that to you?
1: I have heard rumors. From some of the people that I know who were involved in some of this, um, that the Nazis and then us got a lot of the technology uh, from alien races. Now, are those alien races actual aliens, or demonic, or a combination of the two? I lean towards being a combination of the two. I have no proof for that. That's just my that's my belief.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: um, good.
0: Go ahead. Uh, Well, it would probably be interesting what you had to say about that. Um, But I I was just going to continue with, uh, in your interview with uh, Project Camelot, you mentioned some ominous things about the planet Mars. Uh, Can you expand on this a little? Where did you hear about it, these uh, sleeping machines? I've also heard, I think, a few people mention it before, the sleeping machines that are waking up on Mars and how they might relate. What do you have on that?
1: What I have on that. The knowledge I have on that is firsthand. Uh, one of the people that I talked about that was in the project with me is a remote viewer par excellence. She is probably one of the best there is, and she told me that she remote viewed Mars, and what she saw was a vast underground cavern that was basically a base. And there were aliens in there. There were machines that covered several miles. And the aliens, or whatever they are, were in sort of a stasis, uh, in like a hibernation chamber or something like that, the way she described it. And that the machines were waking, waking up. Now, I know that sounds strange, and it sounded strange to me until I started to think about it, well, we've been experimenting with artificial intelligence for some time, AI. That kind of makes it make sense, as it were, if the machines itself are intelligent and they're starting to wake up. Mm-hmm. Um, on my side, I have always had not a fear, but a dread concerning the planet Mars. I've always had a dread feeling about it. Yeah, I've never really been able to explain. And then when she told me that, you know, the dots kind of started to connect a little bit.
0: And, so uh, yes,
1: yeah, I fully believe there is something there and it's waking up and we need to leave it alone. Hmm.
0: And uh, do you feel the, the, have you heard that from other people involved in some of the projects too, some of the same dread? I have, yeah. Um, now, uh, I just a quick thing. I asked you to listen to my three seven zero seven show regarding the neo nephilim and all that stuff. That uh, did you? It did any of that uh, seem like an impossibility? I just wanted to see if it if it w- could possibly jive. If there was any sources of contention that wouldn't work with what with what you know about all this.
1: No, not at all. Um, I fully think that. Um, Briefly, if we let's, let's take and this is going to be very very difficult. and I don't want to tick any of your listeners off <laughs> because I like your show. That's all right. I don't want to. I do want to do. I don't want to do that. Briefly, let's take the religious part completely out of the scenario for just a minute. Mm-hmm. It's archaeologically and historically proven that there were giants that walked the earth. Okay, the Nephilim, so to say, wherever they were created by the inbreeding or the breeding of angels and humans or whether they were, genetic experiments. It's kind of hard to say. Um, but do I think that they're trying to bring the Nephilim back, so to speak? Yes, I do.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I honestly do. Um, one of the things that I like, one of the quotes that I like about the Bible is the quote that says as in the days of noah so shall it be again well that's what the flood definitely the flood was primarily for was to wash away the evils of, of the earth and the evils most of the evil of the earth at that time were considered to be benefilim
0: right it, it, oh. and
1: I right and I think that a lot of the genetic experiments going on now, whether it be in on the UFO side with the abductees or whether it be with the demonic side, with what they do, the ritual, I think they're trying to bring the Nephilim race back.
0: Mm-hmm. I agree. And uh, I would submit that one of the, I think, the most important parts of this whole conspiracy culture is the very, the very uh, sleight of hand being done with... Who it is that's doing the genetic ma- manipulation? There are people like Zachariah Sitchin and so on that that are suggesting the these benign aliens who were basically genetically modifying us so we would mine gold and, and so on. Well, it, if you look into that and what why why it's important for this information to be, I mean, it's on NBC, MSNBC now. You know, they're really touting this whole thing. But without going on right. too much of a raid a rant on it, um, it conveniently explains. All this stuff that we're going to have to find out, but uh, it, it explains it in a way, in such a way that all of it can continue and and we can continue to be further uh, enslaved. It's the same thing they've always done: give you some truth with uh, with another spin on on the real al- reality of it. But people can listen to that three seven zero seven show if they want to hear my take on it. Um, now, uh, let's see. Do you believe in this new world order? What and what do you think about it? Uh, As it as it's been described in a lot of these conspiracy sites,
1: Uh, I believe about half of it, for just the reasons that you just said. Um, Tell I had a naval intelligence officer tell me once that in order to pull a good lie in the intelligence circles, you have to make it a half truth and believe it yourself. Now I fully believe in the new new world order and that is coming and it ain't a good thing boys and girls <laughs> it ain't going to be for our good okay it will be for the certain elite groups that are out there whether it be the builder or wherever they're coming from for them to take over uh, i also believe that they can't control us all so that is why there must be a global population reduction, mm-hmm. um, whether it be with a third world war or uh, bird flu or SARS or whatever it takes. They're going to drastically reduce the population to a manageable number.
0: Right. I agree. Uh, there's documents, the global 2000 documents, a lot of things that clearly state that. Uh, what what do, who do you think was uh calling the shots as it were with uh, a lot of the programs you were involved in? is there any indication of of who was answering to
1: who and that's the sixty four thousand dollar question I can tell you this: I was told when I lived in Phoenix, Arizona by a very reliable source, and the reason I say reliable is that he was ex- Air Force intelligence. And he had no stake in me at all. You know, he had nothing to gain, nothing to lose by telling me anything. And I he was told, and he told me that my file goes across the desk to the president about once a month. He's updated on me about once a month. Hmm. And the way I've been flapping my mouth is probably about every day now. Which I don't mind. (laughs) Um, You know, I don't know. I don't think it was any one head of government. I think the people who used us made us answer to a civilian organization. Mm -hmm. Uh, Probably the people who are orchestrating the New World Order right now. Mm -hmm. That's what I believe. I have no proof to that, but it's what I believe.
0: I tend to think they get a lot of their marching orders from these uh, these rituals that they're all going to going to. Yeah. Out of those rituals, they are getting marching orders. I think from the very top. As it were. I, yeah, I
1: agree with that. I agree with
0: that's that. That's why everything seems so damn genius. You know, it seems like how could anybody come up with that? It's too smart of a plan. You know, and it, right. it's and that's because nobody did come up with it. It's coming from a guy who's got a much much more a much bigger agenda than than some of these people who are just running around looking for money and oil and all that kind of thing.
1: Uh, Yeah, a much larger agenda with a much keener insight and probably a lot of foreign knowledge. Mm.
0: Um, Do you keep up with world events, etc.? Does any particular aspect concern you the most with what's going on nowadays?
1: There actually are two things that concern me right now. One actually is global warming, uh, and the other is... What we're doing in the Middle East right now; those two things on on the world front concern me more than anything right now. Um, I honestly I see World War III happening, beginning in the Middle East. Um, I think we just about crossed that that line of no return. Uh, global warming. My take on global warming is it's not man made. As uh, a lot of people are trying to say, we uh, haven't exactly done anything to slow it down, you know, but I don't think we caused it. I think global warming is is something that happens periodically, and I think it concerns the sun, because one of the reports that I read not too long ago is that not only is the Earth warming up, but all the planets in the solar system are warming up. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's being done because uh, our son is going crazy. And I heard a guy several, God, I think ten years ago or longer than that, um, on a late night show, and he explained global warming better than anyone I've ever heard. And while I'm seeing with the Weber right now, he described it right down to a T. At first, it'll be be doing exactly as it is right now, warmer summers, colder winters, um, and then they'll flip-flop, and then finally, as the polar caps melt and all that fresh cold water goes in uh, to the ocean currents, we'll go through a mini-ice age. Mm -hmm. And then after the mini-ice age, as things continue to heat up, then we see the real global warming where the planet begins to heat up and stay hot for a while.
0: You know, I heard uh, something just uh, yesterday from a friend who really opened my eyes and made, yeah. made something click about this uh, because they heard it on Glenn Beck. He called me when he heard him saying it. So he, he said that Glenn Beck had, was, t- was talking about uh, this Canadian defense minister, just came out saying that that defense minister thinks that we, that we should use some of the alien technology to help stop global warming, i.e. the Gordon Novell. Thing you know from Project right. Camelot, and it made it something click in my mind that that was how it would be beginning, and that's why they have been propagating this global warming fear so heavily is because it's going to be it's going to be the primary fear in everybody's hearts, so that when they propose the solution to the problem, it will be alien technology, i.e., benevolent aliens, i.e., they're the ones that seeded us and can explain intelligent design and everything else. It's just a big a big ploy, in my opinion. But this is just a brand new theory because of hearing of all these these new these new uh things that they're putting out nowadays but um there you
1: go no uh, i i agree with that
0: um do you yeah you said um that you saw 9-11 about two weeks or so before it happened um and that you was that in like a, a a vision type thing or or a, or a, the same kind of remote viewing it type thing
1: it was actually what happened um I had my feet propped up on my desk, and I dozed off, and I snapped out of it because I saw two large buildings, one slightly taller than the other, falling down. I didn't know where where it was, okay, and I posted on some posting boards at that time, and I put it out there, and basically everybody just laughed at it, and that was fine. Well, a couple of days later, I got a phone call. And it was from a synthesized voice that knew that I had a trip to Boston planned and told me to postpone my trip for a month. And then a couple days later, bam, 9-11 happens. Do uh,
0: do you think that, why do you think that you were warned? Uh, Were you working, were you still doing jobs, quote-unquote, as it were, then?
1: No, because shortly thereafter, they, they actually tried to hit me. Um, what I know to be fact is that in 1982, a war started inside the intelligence community, and people started to branch off to their own groups. And what we've been able to ascertain... And when I say we, I'm not in this alone. There, there is a small group of us. And what we've been able to ascertain is that there are three branches out there. Uh, we call them A, B, and C. A and C are in a war with each other. A just kind of sits back and watches. And the way I'm seeing it is that Group A wants me dead. Group C may want to use, try to use me and people like me later on down the line. Um, and I'm right in the middle of their, of their war. And I think one group has uh, probably saved my bacon more than once. Hmm. Or I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you right now. Um, But it's it's that group in the middle that has this kind of bum puzzle that really has us sitting back wondering because they're not doing anything. You know, they're just like they're watching. It's like they're playing referee. And my worry, my main concern with that is somewhere in the future, very shortly in the future that group's little group is going to drop the flag and say there's no hold bar go at it and that's when I fully believe that everything's going to hit the fan. Hmm. I may be wrong about that but it's what, it's what, I, it's what I think
0: mm-hmm. uh, what do you think of the nine eleven truth movement what do you see that as <sighs>
1: The 9/11 Truth Movement.
0: I don't know. It's just a word. I think, got,
1: I, think I think, I think it got hijacked. Um, like so many other things out there that start off being for the good, for true information, for truth, justice, etc. They get hijacked. What I'm seeing are so many groups out there saying that they're fighting for the same thing, but yet at the same time they're fighting each other. Mm -hmm. meet somewhere in the middle yeah meet somewhere in the middle and get all your information together share it and then put it forward
0: and it's all going to break in when they start introducing this whole alien aspect to everybody with it's complete with backstory it's going to split everybody that you know right now is all in one group we're all fighting for the same thing and good causes and it's going to split it right down the middle of of the people that that yeah, you know, It's gonna. It's it's a good plan. It's really a good plan. Um,
1: it is. It, it, it's an ingenious plan.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, now describe what you saw about the country being split apart. Was it the same kind of feeling that you saw with nine eleven? Was it the same the same type, or was it did it vary in any particular aspect?
1: No, it happened the same way. Uh, I have a nasty habit uh, when I'm at my computer. And I'm listening to something on the computer. I'll put my feet up and I'll doze off because I don't, I sleep very little. Uh, I rarely sleep more than three hours at a time. And when I see these things, that's how, usually how they happen. And what I saw was a river of fire basically splitting the country more to the left than, let's say left of center. Now, the thing that everybody needs to remember is that things like that are symbolic. Now, that river of fire may not actually be a river of, quote, fire. And when I saw something a few months ago, it clicked in me. Is when I started talking about this superhighway from Mexico to Canada.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: That kind of clicked with me. Yeah, I was thinking about that earlier today. And I was thinking, if it was like really a super volcano from from like Yellowstone, it would really ruin their plans, and all that that highway sure would get tore up pretty quick.
1: Right? Uh, can I say one thing about
0: nine
1: eleven? Sure. Excellent demolition
0: job. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> I, I mean, they really. I mean, the, the people that that did that project knew. I mean, they knew the requirements were to keep the squibs down keep things very very uh you know but they couldn't do everything you know it was such a huge job that had to be done man that was that was some really that was some really good work they did really
1: it was i was uh in front of the tv when they when they came down and that was the first thought in my mind the best demolition job i've ever seen and there is uh something that I, i would like to bring up real quick if anybody out there remembers the USS Forrestal, the Vietnam-era uh, aircraft carrier that after Nam had a horrendous accident. Uh, one of the uh, planes accidentally fired one of its missiles, striking several other planes and a fuel dump on top of the aircraft carrier where they had uh, the fuel. Well, all that jet fuel ran on deck, and ran through the creases to the lower decks. The forest all didn't sink. Hmm. That burning jet fuel didn't burn burn through. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Oh, no kidding. Have you seen any of the movies regarding any of that stuff? Uh, Have you seen any of the loose changes or 9-11 mysteries or anything like that? No, I haven't. Oh, you got to! You got it. Type 9/11 mysteries is uh, called demolitions. is It's about an hour long or something like that. It is. It will leave nobody without a doubt that um, that that was a demolition job. It's it's one of the well most well produced movies out there. I feel as far as that's concerned, but there's other ones out there. They really do need to be shown. It's a good way to look at stuff. Um, But also, I want you to see that Arizona Wilder video and get your take on that.
1: I do. Yeah, that's going to be Thompson on my list, and uh, and everything. I, to be quite honest, man, over the past couple of months, I have been so busy uh, with some of the stuff that we're trying to to do to get uh, information out there and evidence and et cetera that I have barely had time to sit down.
0: I can only imagine. I only got a few more questions here, and uh, we'll be pretty much done sure. here. Um, Let's see. Now, just a few things. You 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 spoke of preparation and all this stuff for everybody. You know, if it, no matter what is that's coming, it's probably good to be mobile and everything. Uh, any suggestions for that? Right. Any any good tips as far as I'm sure you have probably had some su- sort of survival training, or anything like that?
1: Uh, the first thing that I would tell everybody is get a good first aid kit, and I don't mean you know go to Walmart and get one of the little. Small that you can put in your glove box. I mean, get a good first aid kit and learn how to use it. Uh, go down to wherever you can. Learn some CPR. Learn some basic emergency medical. Um, you're gonna. I, any kind of food that you can throw in a a gunny sack that you can survive off of a week or so. You know, I fully believe that all these people who are digging bunkers and uh, stocking up on years of food are missing the point and they're wasting their time. Uh, because when this thing comes down, there's going to be troops going door to door and they're not all going to be American troops. Mm-hmm. Okay. The best thing that you can be is, is to be mobile. If you're, you have a vehicle that you're going to use, and you have the money or the means, take it somewhere and have an increased gas tank put on it, a bigger tank or a secondary tank, something like that, Uh, just anything that you can do to prepare to be out that door in a matter of minutes and gone, you know, heading for the hills.
0: I always suggest to people a motorcycle is the perfect way to get around. I mean, when the just traffic nowadays at five o'clock is near deadlock. If it was a life and death situation, all the side everything would be gridlock, and the only people that would survive get out of the city are those that can that can get on the you know do some creative things, and you certainly can't do it with a car.
1: Exactly. Um, I just don't see you know people like as people trying to do bunkers and store. Three or four years of food in the garage and all that. for one thing if people know it's there, well, you're gonna to have to fight them off.
0: <laughs> right, that's true. That's the truth.
1: I, I just honestly believe that having yourself mobile, mm-hmm. where you can run if you have to.
0: Um, okay. Uh, Project Camelot. What are your feelings about them? Are are, we, are they all all good feelings about them and everything? It sound like uh, what do we, what do you think about
1: them? Yeah. I like Bill and Kerry. Uh, I had never met them before uh, until we did this interview, and we would only spoken a couple of times. And they flew out and shot this thing. It's an hour and thirteen minute interview. It's actually almost five hours worth of tape. Uh, it was, a lot was edited and edited down. Uh, I, I like what they're doing. They're essentially just giving uh, whistleblowers a platform. You know, they're not taking sides at all. They're just saying, here's the, here, here's the person, here's their story, listen to it, you know, make up your own mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, as long as they continue with that, more power to them. Right. You know?
0: Right. Yeah, they definitely have some varied, you know, whistleblowers. It doesn't seem like a particular agenda or anything like that.
1: You no, know. no, they don't. Uh, and on, um, Bill Ryan's, uh, side where he was with, um, did the, uh, what was it called? Serpro? Serpro? Yeah, Serpo. Yeah, I had never even heard of that mm-hmm. until we did the interview and he mentioned it and I checked into it. Um, I think a lot of the attacks on Bill were very unwarranted, because uh, I was going back reading all that and I heard, uh, an interview that he did, he had maintained from day one with that that he felt that it was mostly disinformation. But, as I, I happen to agree, and as we have alluded to earlier, there is some truthful information even in disinformation. Right. So, what he believed is that people needed to hear it and judge it for themselves. You know, well, he kind of got crucified for that, and since they did the interview with me, the same people who attacked uh Bill and Kerry for Project Sephiroth jumped on the bandwagon and began to attack me for
0: it Mhm yeah you
1: know politics is politics hey
0: that's good information right there um uh let's see I got a few more here uh where am I at um what do you think about some of the uh, any any are you hot about any of the uh poisoning of, of Americans with the uh vaccines fluoride aspartame How are you aware of all of those and and I also saw on your site the electronic pollution. That was something I've been concerned about lately with all these towers everywhere.
1: Any yeah. any thoughts on any of those? I would have... Oh, man. I have never taken a flu shot. I advise no one to take a flu shot. Um, I fully believe that the children's vaccination has caused more harm and more death than it's ever did good. I think that's where the tremendous increase in um uh, autism mm-hmm. and those related areas came from i fully believe that um you know i the one of the questions i have is with what fluoride that they put in the water and they say this is supposed to strengthen teeth and bones when well, correct me if i'm wrong but is it wasn't fluoride used to clean the smokestacks and factories?
0: <laughs> yeah, it still is. I called I called our I water district the other day and asked him if that's what we use, and he was like, Yeah, we use that. He was like,
1: Okay, great. Yeah. And, no, you know, I think fluoride also, has, and aspartame as well does something else it causes uh calcium deposits to form in the uh pineal gland or pineal gland
0: amen this is what i've been thinking of lately and it just confirms some other stuff i was reading with edgar casey of all places the other day it hit me that yeah go ahead
1: (laughs) no uh we're right on the same page with that and i think that has gone a long ways in the ability to quote dumb down people
0: oh yeah but but I, I I knew it was an IQ thing but and and that was one of the reasons I've been so hopped up and fired out fired up about fluoride but but I didn't know that it was a potentially spiritual thing too uh, and yeah. I, I had read through Edgar Casey he was talking about different types of meditation and how it was important you know of this accumulation of almost the soul as you put it like a pathway through the pineal gland at one point and, and and actually in conjunction with some other stuff that uh credo Mutwa i think it was who said that that they were an attack on the spirituality of people in aspartame too and uh you know it just goes back to this is not something humans could do i mean that yeah they're they're hodgepodge of chemicals and stuff but they were told to do this by you know a higher power that knew more about this you know it it was either the most a genius person running the world, or it was uh, somebody with a super evil agenda, in my opinion.
1: Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. They're putting chemicals in food, water, the products we use daily that are put in there for one purpose and one purpose only, to make us as a a race easier to control.
2: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Yep, yep. And I just got a few more questions here. One, uh, eating healthy, do you have any particular uh, uh, regimen or anything that you do at particular foods or anything like that that you
1: take? Uh, I still yeah, I, I still don't eat red meat. Uh, I eat mostly chicken and fish. Um, I would advise people now just get off the red meat. I mean, believe me, I love steak and I love cheeseburgers, <laughs> but it's just not safe to eat it right now. Mm-hmm. So I, I stay with um, white meat. Um, I try to get everything with the farm fresh label that I can. Um, try to stay with, you know, with vegetables and, and fresh fruits if possible, mm-hmm. whole grains. You know, kind of follow, I hate to say it, but follow a weight lifter's diet. Yeah. You know, the five, six small meals a day, high protein, it really works.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, okay, and uh, after I guess we've probably covered this last question, but just I'll ask it anyway. After uh, assimilating all this information uh, that you have in your journey, uh, has a big picture emerged of what you think, um, what what where we're going, what why, and and is is uh, and why all this is manifesting the way it does, and all that good stuff.
1: I think you hit on it. Is that there is a bigger hand out there than any human on this earth that is actually controlling the shots and all this and I think I've seen that uh, by remembering a lot of my experiences and doing a lot of uh, research myself. I also agree with you that some of this stuff just could not have been balled up by one or two guys in a think tank somewhere. Mm -hmm. There is a much bigger hand in this, uh, and they do have an agenda. And it's a very long-range agenda, because this has been going on for a long, long time. And they seem to have carte block on money, to, you know, to do it. Mm-hmm. They seem to have that goose that lays the golden egg, so to speak. Um, <laughs> and I I don't see it being anything good for you or me. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I fully, as I, I said earlier, I fully believe that there is a battle going on right now between good versus evil, you know, dark versus light, wh- whatever angle you want to put on it. But in my mind, it's right versus wrong, and we're right, in the, we're right smack in the middle of it. And both sides will use, try to use us <clears throat> to their own agenda. And about the only thing you can do is weigh the situation, weigh everything, and try to walk the path of right.
0: Robert Duncan O'Faniel. I don't know know
1: how it, a sense that made, but...
0: <laughs> no, no. How, how can we all help you? What, what can we do? How do we get in touch with you? And uh, how, do, how can we help in, in your fight here? What can we do?
1: Well... So, you know, no one has ever asked me that question on an interview before. <laughs> I need someone, political wise, to be in my corner. That's who, that's what I need. Uh, I don't care if it's Ron Paul, uh, anybody who has a little clown in politics to step into step into my corner and give me a heads up here. That's that's what I need. You know, I have no. I'm not selling anything, so I can't say go to my website and buy my books because I give it away. Uh, <laughs> I don't have videos I sell, and and I never will. I I just don't do that kind of thing.
0: Now, um, just for the record, I tried to buy your book today, and I couldn't find it anywhere on your site where I could buy it. And I noticed that I noticed I saw some link somewhere that you were selling it online for like nothing. I mean, basically, and. Uh, yeah. I just wanted to know, how can I get it? I mean, it didn't seem appear appear possible from the website. I didn't see a link. Is that is that right?
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll send you one uh, tonight or when I get back from L.A. Oh. Um, it'll be an e-copy. It's out there on Amazon hard copy for a little while. It should be taken off any time. What uh, we're going to do is uh, take it off, and I'm going to rewrite some of it and uh, add some to it and re-release it as a second edition.
0: Great. And uh, and hopefully we can get some, uh, you know, I mean, I know that everybody likes to say, oh, you're we trying to sell something, but you were going to let all this go without even mentioning anything, you know. I mean, just for the record, all those people trying to find that out. But I still think, you know, uh, you know any financial... You know, help would be, I'm sure, appreciated. Um, and in that, and that is always a good avenue to have something like that where people can support, even, you know, for whatever they can.
1: Oh, absolutely. And it would be. It's just, you know, like I've always said, I didn't do this to uh, somebody once said, uh, I'm doing these interviews just to hawk my wares. I don't have any wares to hawk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, I self published my book. Um, HarperCollins wanted to do it, but they wanted me to give them all the rights so they could uh, change it, and I refused. So I published it myself, and I've given thousands of them away.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, that, it's never been a big deal to me to uh, make a lot of money off a book. Um, but the, the best thing people can do to help me is to put me in touch with the right people. Uh, the one thing I don't want, uh, I've got a couple of guys out there. God bless them. They, it looks like they do a Google search every day on my name. If any place someone is, um, being negative towards <laughs> me, they go in there. <laughs> God bless them for it. Guy, you don't have to do that. <laughs> okay, it's not uh, necessary. Uh, I don't want anybody doing that. Um, just, if anybody wants to shoot me an email. Uh, or sign my guest book, um, anything that I can use to take to a congressman or a senator um, and say, look, you know, I have all these people who want answers, along, you know, with me. So let's get something started.
0: Yeah, let's get that email address and website going for people.
1: It's, uh, uh, it's uh, The website is wintersteel.com, just like it sounds, W-I-N-T-E-R-S-T-E-E-L.com. Um, my website is actually connected to the main website. Just go on the front page, scroll all the way down, you'll see who's who, there's my name, click on that, and it takes you to it. And all my contact information is right there in my email um, also uh a guest book, and uh what you can contact actually anonymously uh through a form great thing on there I don't have my phone number on there and i it's all over the internet so I, I really don't care for people having my phone number either
0: <laughs> okay um now uh uh um I guess what I was gonna say was you know, and also it's something people do I know it really helps me on this show I solicit uh uh, prayers. If anybody's got any prayers to spare, I sure could use them. And, uh, and I'm sure, you know, either way, it, it, it all helps. So,
1: Absolutely. Uh, I'm a firm believer in prayer. Uh, I don't necessarily think it's something you have to uh, do verbally and vocally, like a Sanhedrin, but it's something like, you know, Jesus told in the Bible, go into your room, close the door, and pray. Heard that. You know, I'd, that's that's one passage I've always liked.
0: All right, Robert Duncan O'Finian, I thank you uh, so much for for doing this. I hope we can we can really uh, get this out there and and help in any way we can with this. And uh, and it, I, I appreciate you spending it, your time with me.
1: It's been my pleasure. Revere Radio Network, Tampa, the worldwide home of free speech.